Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Do you feel like you keep dating people who won't commit and you've struggled in your dating life, you've gone through all these breakups, or maybe you've even struggled to consistently date and stay in the dating game, and you are actually the one who struggles to commit and let your walls down. I know how exhausting this can be when you have this desire on your heart that you really want that partner, that best friend, that person to build a life with, And yet your dating life is just going nowhere and you can't seem to find a person to build a healthy relationship with. I just know how frustrating that is. And I was able to take everything I know from clinical psychology and attachment theory research and NLP belief work and build a program that can help you no matter what your past has been, even if you've never had a healthy relationship before in your life, this program will help you become the securely attached, healthy, high self-worth version of you who effortlessly attracts that partner that you've always wanted. So spots are really limited. We can only take a small amount of people every month. And I want to invite you to not wait on your healing. Love is for those who are willing to be brave and do the work, and you are so deserving of removing the barriers to everything you desire. So I just want to invite you, apply to the Empowered, Secure, Loved program. You get coaching with me, and you will be able to embody that version of you that you deserve. And spots, once again, are super limited. So make sure you apply. You can find the link in my Instagram bio. My Instagram handles Dr. Morgan Coaching, and the link will also be in the show notes. I'm so excited for you to embody that healthy, securely attached version of you. You are so worthy of it. Welcome, everyone, to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. Farnoosh Tarabi. I've been on your show. So I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Morgan. Can I call you Dr. Morgan or Morgan? Like, how do you, (laughs) you can call me Morgan, but I go by Dr. Morgan, but no, whatever feels good to you. I'm open to both. Well, I'm just so grateful for this invitation. I love your book. I love your podcast. I love everything. I love you so much. You're in my book. You're, you're dedicated. Like your, your wisdom has traveled so far and wide. And now it's also in my book and I hope that more people get to uh, appreciate your wisdom. I am so excited to hear more about your book. I know we're going to talk all about it. Um, I want to give the audience an introduction to you in case they haven't had the pleasure of knowing who you are. Um, So here's just a little bit of information about Farnoosh. She is one of America's leading personal finance experts. She's the host of the award-winning podcast, So Money, 
You guys, this is one of the only podcasts that I actually listen to consistently. <laughs> it is so good. I'm not kidding. Um, she is a sought after speaker and author of multiple books. Her next is entitled A Healthy State of Panic, part memoir, part guidebook on how fear can be a superpower to achieve true wealth and career success. She's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Time Magazine, has been on the Today, Good Morning America, and more. She's a graduate of Penn State University with a degree in finance and international business and holds a master's degree from the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. She is our guest today. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Do you ever hear all that? And you go, wow, yeah, that's me. Who is that? <laughs> well, uh, usually the punchline after hearing my bio is, can't wait to hear what I have to say, you know, <laughs> like. I am just thrilled to have you because I was telling you before we hit record, I don't talk about money enough on this show. And you and I know that our relationship health, our financial health, our physical health, it's just all connected so you are just such a welcomed guest for the audience. I know they're going to love this. Thank you. How is that possible, Dr. Morgan, that you have not touched on money more than, you know, I just think that money, when we talk about money, we talk about life, we're talking about relationships. It is the number one cause of arguments in relationships. Yes. So it's, it's, I know it's, it's in your orbit and you, you know, it's there. It's like a yes. it's like elephant in the room, but let's talk about it. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. So Let's just start with your book and tell me the story behind this book, because I know you didn't really need to do this. You already have a book. You have so many wonderful things, but you had something in you that you needed to get out. So yeah, just tell us how, how did this come about? Honestly, it started many years ago, I would say well, pre-pandemic for sure. And it was um, probably... I don't know, my, my mid to late 30s. I'm 43 now. And uh, I had written already three books. Uh, my last book was about women breadwinners and how to navigate a hetero relationship when you are a woman or out earning your, your husband. And at the time, it was very... Um, like I, Whenever I write books, Morgan, I try to just... My, my job is to try to move the needle of the conversation that's out in the culture. So not to add to the pile, not to be an echo chamber, not to like you know, really kind of say something that's a big idea that's new, that is very much my reality and the reality that I see around me, but maybe something that we're not discussing enough. And so that was the impetus for the last book. And so fast forward to um, years later, I've, I have a podcast, my life's evolved, and I'm getting the itch to write again, something substantive. I love writing. It's my first passion. And again, I'm thinking, what is it going to be that's really going to matter? You know, what is it that I'm noticing that's happening in my life elsewhere that feels like we really need to unpack it and it can really maybe be motivating or what have you. And at first I just thought, well, let me just write about my life a little bit because there's a lot of stories there on the show on So Money, my podcast, we often talk about our childhoods and how it influenced our financial lives. So I thought maybe that's a place to start. Maybe there is some sort of story, narrative, powerful idea around like your your origin story and how it has influenced your financial relationship as an adult. And I'm I like to think I'm a little funny. I had taken a stand-up comedy class, complete sidebar like I had done this for my fun for 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 fun just to like do something I was always afraid of doing but 
really was more interested in it, curious about it than scared. And so I had done this stand up comedy class through that. A lot of writing came out about my childhood, about growing up with immigrant parents from Iran and how they raised me to be purposely fearful of so many things. Like I like a lot of families in the 80s and 90s, like it was a terrifying time to be raised. You know, like you wake up in the morning, you're having cereal and on the back of the milk carton, you're learning about all the missing children. I mean, that's like how you're starting your morning. So that's the context. That's kind of like where I'm at in my life. I'm experimenting with more, I'm pushing the envelope a little bit creatively in my personal life. I'm thinking professionally, like what's this next book going to be about? Listen, if anyone out there thinks that they have to have all the answers figured out, you don't. Life will usher you into the right direction. And that's what was happening for me. I was just kind of like putting myself out there, having this, 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 these curiosities about my work and my personal life. And it was literally a, a literary agent reached out because she saw me do stand-up comedy that I'd posted on Facebook one time, um, my amateur comedy, but nevertheless, really colorful stories and funny stories about my mom and my dad and being a female breadwinner and all the things. And she wrote to me and she said, do you have more of these stories? And I said, sure. Do they have to be written down? Because I mean, it's my life. I've lived it. I, it's like the, the stories are endless. And she said, yeah, please start writing. So I started writing and I started by just writing the stories that I thought were like the wild adventures of growing up Iranian American. And by wild, I mean like the time I shaved my unibrow and changed my name to Ashley. I mean, like (laughs) these aren't heroic stories of like climbing Mount Everest or joining us, you know, the craziest thing I've done is buy a house in the pandemic. I mean, really like you're not going to get hero stories from me, but you are going to get, I think hopefully relatable stories, but the underpinning of a lot of the stories is where we finally formed the book and the message of the book. And we, as we sort of took a step back and looked at the patterns that were represented in a lot of these stories about childhood, about the tween years, about college, about my current life, we found this element of fear that was like a different representation of fear that we don't normally want to accept in our culture, which is that fear can be a friend. And yes, I grew up this terrified little girl But eventually I had to sort of reconcile with the emotion. And the answer was not to ignore it or to pretend I could be fearless. The answer was to say, what if I could have a relationship with fear to use it as a tool in my work, in my financial life, in my relationships, romantic and with friends? And I have found that when I have consciously done this, my world opens up. And that's the message of the book. Yes, it's filled with so many adventurous stories and colorful stories and not just good stories, also gutting stories about lots of life's trials and tribulations that I've gone through, that others have gone through, and also the advice uh, from people like you and others who've come on my podcast who have maybe even inadvertently, unknowingly said that fear is great. Fear can be a tool. We don't, again, think about this consciously. We don't have it in our culture to be embracing of fear. And that's what I want the big idea of this book to be. That is the promise that when you can start to tap into your fear in a way that you haven't ever because you think fear is weakness and we don't want to be weak, that magic can happen, that you can actually learn more about yourself than you ever have. Because what is fear at the end of the day? It's a protective stimulant that wants to show you mm-hmm. what you care about. You're afraid because maybe there's something you want to protect. Can you imagine? And so let's go with, let's go there. Let's go there with the fear Mm. and be constructively afraid. As I say in the book, this has shown up for me time and time again in my financial life, but also everywhere else. And I'm excited to bring this to the forefront. It's so good. It's so good. It's, it's taking me back to 
when I've counseled new mothers mm-hmm. who have just had a baby and they're in therapy and they're saying, I'm having these intrusive thoughts that I get in a car accident and the baby dies. Yeah. And they feel so bad about it because they keep having these thoughts. Right. And it's like this fear. And then it's, and then I'm able to say, Hey, you love your kid so, so much that your brain's trying to prevent this by giving you these intrusive thoughts. So instead of when it comes up, blaming yourself, thinking, how, how am I having these thoughts? Instead of saying that you can say, wow, I love my kids so much that my brain's thinking that this is helpful. Maybe there's something else I can do. So it just, it's amazing, right? It's that whole, yeah. What if you're trying to protect something? Like what if you change the narrative about the fear? What if, what if exactly that's the question that I started with in writing this book. It's like, what if your fears actually were purposeful? You know, I think that we live in a very polarizing world where we feel as though we think and we're told that um, when you feel these quote unquote negative emotions like fear, and I would also say anger and sadness too, that there's something wrong with you, you know, that, that, that you are weak, that, I mean, raise your hand if you've ever grown up with someone, an adult telling you like, stop crying or why are you crying? Or even as a grown woman, you know, being told like feeling bad for grieving over something because you feel as though your loss is not the end of the world. It's a loss is relative and grief is real, but it's like, I talk a lot about this a lot in the book. There's a whole chapter dedicated to the fear of endings and how, when we, when something ends, whether it's like a relationship, a job, a life, an idea that you had your heart set on that, you know, what is that, what is that moment, that emotion really trying to get you towards? And it's really getting you towards being more in tune to your grief because grief is healthy and important. It's a process not feeling ashamed about that, but also to say when one door closes, guess what? Now you have an opportunity to open another door. And so that's what I try to do in the book is to say, not just like, hey, fear is a friend. Yes, that's the overarching message, but that whether you're feeling, and there's nine chapters that travel through various fears, specific fears that we all, I think, have experienced or continue to experience, fear of rejection, fear of loneliness, FOMO, the fear of exposure, which is like putting yourself out there, being found out for who you really are in a, an environment that may not be so inviting or warm. The fear of money, obviously, failure, uncertainty, endings. And then the last chapter is the fear of losing your freedom, your mm. personal freedom to feel as though you can walk through life, making your own choices, having agency. And I've never been told that there are these different kinds of fears. We just sort of call fear this blob. It's this monolith emotion. But I think when we can actually get to the specifics of what is the fear that I'm feeling, we can then find the quicker shortcut solutions to working with it. Oh, okay. This is what what I'm feeling is loneliness, the fear of loneliness. And I know that when this happens, this is how to think about it. This is where to see the opportunity. This is what it's helping me protect. Um, it was yes. the hardest book I've ever written, I have to say. Wow. And I'm, I guess when things are hard, there's a better payoff, I hope. But I do think that this is the most important book that I've ever written. Oh, that's powerful. Was this the first time that you had included more vulnerable parts about your life? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I've distributed the book early to some of my fans and they're reading it and they're getting in touch. And one woman is like, I'm simultaneously breastfeeding my newborn and I'm on page 100 of your book. And I go, well, 
that's a good sign, I guess, um, that you've gotten this far. I said, what do you think? And she said, you really tell us a lot about yourself that you've never before. I'm learning so much about you. You really expose a lot of yourself that, um, you know, it's really refreshing. And I said, yeah, I forgot that part. I guess, you know, I guess you work with, a, as you know, you've written books, like you're with a yeah. piece of, you're with this creative thing for two years, more years than that. And so it starts to fade on you a little bit, the impact that you're, yes. that you're really creating. And then to have someone read it with fresh eyes and to even pick up on nuances or subtleties mm -hmm. that you, maybe it wasn't even your intention, but then that's what they, that's what, that's the experience for them. I, I'm so looking forward to the other side of this really to just learn what others are figuring out about themselves. And, and I it's think it's, yeah, it's a brave thing to do as an author to put some of your more vulnerable stories out there. And it also has the potential to really hit people deeply and really allow them to internalize things. But I don't know about you, but when, when I wrote my book, I was very comfortable teaching. Like I love teaching and metaphors and this is how you apply this to your life. And here's the idea and go take this idea. And then the idea of, Oh, I got to talk about my life. I was worried people wouldn't care about it. I think partly, but then I was also more, just more scared to do that. So my, my, my memoir is years away. So I have a ton of, a ton of respect for you for going out there and, and doing it. And I, I can't wait to read it myself too. It's awesome. Do you want to hear where you're included in the book? Yes. I have to tell the audience, I had the privilege of actually being quoted. This is my, this is my first time of being quoted in someone else's book that I'm aware of. Um, so yeah, tell, tell the audience. So about it. there's this is actually the hardest chapter I wrote. I almost didn't include this chapter because I was, get this, afraid <laughs> of the perception. <laughs> the and I was, the irony. And I was afraid that, I don't know, that I was just saying something that was a little too wild or too, that would be too challenged. But ultimately, okay, so it's the chapter on the fear of what I've identified as exposure or being exposed. And there isn't, you can't really Google this. Like, it's not like fear of loneliness. We know what that is. Fear of rejection. Everybody feels that. But like, I had to sort of identify at the real heart of what I was trying to get to. And really like for me in my life, I have been afraid in times when I'm sort of put on the spot when I've been asked, where are you from? When I've been asked, how much do you make? When I've been asked, um, do you like him? Or what's your, what are your goals even, you know, in the context of dating that can be really oh, like sort of scary because well, at the end of the day, you're, what you're really scared of is how will the other person or the people in the room receive your truth and what will they do with that? Mm -hmm. yes. I don't live in a world where I believe that everyone is going to be my best friend and want to support me. That's the hard truth. And that was the part of the chapter that I felt a little afraid to say out loud because I think we, again, we live in a culture where it's like, Kumbaya, we should all be friends. And if someone doesn't accept you, well, too bad for them. But you know what? I have to be protective of myself. You know, not everyone deserves my truth. And we'd also live in a world now where the culture says, be vulnerable all the time. Mm -hmm. This is the marker of true honesty and authenticity. And I, I, I get that, but I think that we need to develop boundaries around that. Yeah. And I always say that people need to earn your vulnerability. Yes. Oh, see, it's too late now. I can't put that in the book, but, <laughs> but you helped me write this chapter a lot because ironically, this chapter, while it is about, I talk about when the fear of exposure shows up, you have to read the room. You have to sort of 
use your spidey sense to figure out, is this audience really worthy, as you say, of my truth and deserving of my truth and my vulnerability? And sometimes it's not. And But the gift of the fear of exposure, when you're willing to sort of reconcile with it, because it can be exhausting to play with the fear of exposure and say, oh, here we go again. I got to hold myself back. I got to zip up. You know, I got to only show so much of myself because I don't want to have it be used against me in a way that would be unfair. And I find it's exhausting, especially in the context of dating. So in the dating world, in my 20s, in New York City, as a woman who had a master's degree, who was working in the media as a producer, making good money, I owned my own apartment. Dating in my 20s was challenging, not because I don't like to date. It's just that there is this sort of unspoken code between men and women when they're on a date that, I don't know, maybe it's different now, but I still think there's a hint of truth to this, that if you're somebody as a woman who shows a lot of financial ambition and career ambition, um, it's not always like some the guy's cup of tea. Absolutely. There is, that was, you know, that was true for me a few years ago. So I think it's still okay. Very so true. I'm not, I'm not crazy here. Like, no, that was, I, it was, I was scared to tell people that I owned my own business and that I had a podcast and that I was as successful as I was. It took me a few dates to even open up to yeah. that. I would just say I'm a psychologist because that felt yeah. safe. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we like, it's not that we lie or we, um, it's just that we don't trust for whatever reason, the person across the table is going to love that about us. And I didn't like that. I wasn't, I wasn't able to go there right away, but it was so complicated. And even people who were older than me, who were married, people at work who knew I was dating and I'd say, just maybe on the first date, don't tell them you own your own apartment, you know? And I would say, he certainly would tell me, why can't I tell him? But nevertheless, I stayed mom and I got, I was really exhausted by it. Like, look, fear is not always your best friend, but it was something that I recognized was there. And I was continued to stay curious about it. And maybe it didn't um, throw me into someone's arms right away, but eventually I think it did because what happened was that exhaustion around that fear of holding back on you know, in the context of dating, got me to a point where I was like, Morgan, I don't care anymore. If he doesn't like me for who I am, that's fine. But like, I was ready to be single for the rest of my life. I would prefer that than to even enter a relationship, but not feel like I could bring my whole self to that relationship. And so once I made peace with that, which honestly, the fear got me there because it just, again, like I got to a point of you get worn out. What am I what what like burnout, right? It's just burnout. Mm-hmm. And um when I made that pact with myself, that's when I met my boyfriend that became my fiance, who became my husband. Mm-hmm. And listen, I definitely got from him a much better sense of like I can trust this person. I didn't sense that connection on these in some of these other mm-hmm. um short-lived so it's partly relationships. him, partly you, right? But I I think I got braver and because I, in my mind, I was like, there's no settling, you know? And if I, if I settle, it's going to be with myself, which I'm happy with. I think that's, that's a fine compromise. <laughs> I'll have a kid on my own. I'll, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. And I have, I have female friends who are single moms by choice. Um, they didn't meet the right person, but they still held on to their goals to become mothers and made it happen. And so I saw what was possible and that kept me going. 
But to bring it back to your wisdom in the book, you say, and this is where I bring you in, because when you came on my podcast, we talked about sort of identifying true connection and, you know, the keys to intimacy. And so here we go. Um, As I would discover over the years to arrive at a deep, meaningful life, um, to arrive at a deep, meaningful life partnership with someone, I would have to get comfortable with aspects of this fear of exposure and its rules of conduct, chiefly loving yourself and valuing your own boundaries first. I would need to learn to be comfortable with all my wobbly bits, as the wise Bridget Jones once said. And then would I, and and only then would I, an independent woman, be ready to embrace an interdependent love and appreciate the ultimate gift that comes with working with and through the fear of being found out for who you really are. That gift is intimacy. In this pursuit, you may have to prepare for the fears that we just covered, rejection and loneliness, but your fear of exposure in the context of finding your person wants you to take the risk. What's on the other side will be worth it. As clinical psychologist and podcast host, Dr. Morgan Anderson says, a lot of people have a barrier to interdependence. It's because they're lacking self-trust and they're lacking the relationship tools that they need. If I don't know how to communicate, how to set boundaries, I'm not going to feel safe being vulnerable with people and building relationships. So that's your amazing Ooh, contribution. You just kind of brought, you brought your, I, I, I had to bring in the, the experts because there's parts of this writing this book where I was like, I feel this way. I'm a journalist, right? I have to always feel like I have to support <laughs> yeah, which is storytelling good. Writing isn't that with way, facts. So it's good. Yeah. Like, don't just take my word for it. You know, yes. this is a clinical psychologist who has real life client experience. And so I'm grateful for ever crossing paths with you. And again, like this chapter is, for me, it's really going to a place where I've met before. Um, and it's thanks to people like you who gave me the sort of permission and power to do that and to feel like I had my, I had, I have backers on this, you know? I love it. It's such an important topic now more than ever um, for women in particular, because one of the trends that I notice is more and more women becoming, um, hyper-independent, we would say, over-functioning, hyper-independent and avoidantly attached. You could throw that in there where there really is this struggle to have interdependence. It's just Mm -hmm. become more normalized for women, for us to find ourselves there, which is beautiful because in the past it's, you know, I think been men. Um, So it's in a way, it's a great place that we're realizing, Hey, I can really depend on myself and do whatever I want. And it could also set us up for not honoring a desire for closeness and connection and, and simply staying in our comfort zone where we're just relying on ourselves and not connected to others. So I love that we go, Hey, you can be powerful. You can earn more than your partner. You can, you can be independent. You can do what you want to do and you're deserving of support and connection. And if you want that it's available to you. And I think it's so important for men to embrace this equally. I think we often talk about this as a way to encourage women, but what are the, I mean, the opportunities for men are boundless when they too can 
say, you know what? I don't have to be the guy in the marriage who's always bringing home more or has to work in this job because this is what I do. This is how I define being a good father, being a good husband, um, that I don't have to follow this sort of archetype of what it means to be, you know, and, and it's hard because culture expects that of men as much as they expect the women to be sort of supporting characters in a marriage, that there is a push to keep men, quote unquote, in their place too. I think it was Pew Research that did a study not too long ago that's that found that a majority, 67%, 70% of men and women in this country think that it is a man's responsibility in a hetero marriage to provide financially for the family. So we, we're up against a lot, you know, and I, I, it's not a light thing. I think it's, there's a lot of advice about like, well, just, just change your mind around it, you know, but it's really hard when you step out of your home and the culture is not so cool with it and undermines you. And look, I have a thick skin, but sometimes that opposition is coming from your parents, from your the people you see every mm-hmm. weekend at church, the people you see at work, it's hard, you know? Well, I think for news too, it's this idea that men were taught to connect their value to their ability to achieve and to provide and to be financially at whatever level. So men had connected their value to that. And then if you're in a relationship and you're saying, that's not actually what I value about you, Right. And then that or it's kind not of, the only thing. It's not the only thing, right? It's right. part of it. But then I, I think it, it's challenging because men get this story from society about like where their worth comes from. And then if that's taken away, it's like, well, how do I, how do I know I'm enough? How do mm-hmm. I know I'm worthy? It, it, it sort of becomes an identity. It's an crisis identity crisis for us it as is. a culture, for, for men and women, obviously. Yes. Um, I mean, we could do a whole other episode on I know this, we- <laughs> you know, I, I have, 10 chapters dedicated to, you know, women breadwinners and also their partners. The best, the best emails I get honestly around that is the men who write to me and they say, I didn't really sort of know that my wife may have been going through these challenges. And I see now that I have way more to contribute to my family unit more than just money. And what a, what a weight has been lifted. It's so true. It's so true. Um, Yes. And I, I have read your book. Why am I blanking on the title? Remind us of the title. It's called when she makes more. A lot of people get the title wrong. They think it's when she earns more, um, when she makes more money. (laughs) Like it's just when she makes more, just (laughs) when, when she makes more, when she makes more, I remember having it on the table and my, my boyfriend saw it and was like, Oh, this is a good read for us. (laughs) I love that he said that because so many women have told me the opposite, which is that I'm embarrassed to read this in front of my partner. I don't, I'm not embarrassed. I don't want him to be feeling weird that I'm reading this as if like we have problems and um, yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. It is. It is. is. And yes, Um, back to your current book. I think one of the things I love about this is obviously money has so many emotions connected to it. And so many people avoid money and their emotions altogether. And then you have this beautiful book that says, Hey, let's just talk about all of it, right? All, all the fears and, and get it out. Um, for, for you, someone who is beginning 
their relationship with money. Maybe they do just have a ton of fear about, I guess, even opening up their bank account, but they've just been in like avoidance mode. Mm -hmm. What is one of the first things you would recommend that they do? Hmm. So the fear of money is distinct. It is distinct. For me, it has a very distinct sound. When I think about when money frightens me, I go back to childhood. I think about my parents pounding their fists on the kitchen table in our home when they would argue around money. And usually their arguments were around my dad trying to control the money and my mother feeling powerless and not being able to make her own decisions, buy her own things, feel like a real contributor. And so when I have a fear around money, I have to go down memory lane and think about where did this come from? And that's the first step for everybody when they experience any kind of fear around money, whether it is like you brought up the fear of facing my finances, the bills, or it's the fear of talking about money with a partner, or it is the fear that I'm going to, like a lot of us fear, quote unquote, go broke, lose money. And I would say, let's do a health check on that fear. Let's go down memory lane. Let's The question you ask this fear is, where did you come from and or who brought you here? There is a story there. There is a narrative that you are buying into that we need to sort of put under the microscope. And the best place to usually go is your past. And it could be your past past, like your childhood, or it could have been more recent. Sometimes recent experiences really elicit fear. And we hold on to that. And we think that like, if, for example, we... So somehow survived the 2008 recession and we lost our jobs and our investments went in half. Like we are afraid of putting ourselves out there again. We're afraid of investing again. We're distrustful of the system. That is rooted in a real thing, that fear. But is it fair to assume that that's going to be your story for the rest of your life and that you shouldn't take a risk ever again? So I would challenge you to challenge the fear. And um, maybe this is called being fearless, but it's not. It's called getting to the root of why you feel this way. Maybe there is wisdom and truth in that. Maybe, you know, you did make a mistake in your past with money and now you're afraid of doing anything again with money because you're afraid of repeating that mistake. So the job now is to go, what was the lesson from that mistake? What is it that you now need to protect? You have so much more wisdom now. Like you're actually in a better position to go and do another thing with money. So that's the first step is sort of understanding the narrative that you're holding on to, the root of it, and then rewriting it if need be to then to address more the goals that you want to achieve. Like I would venture to guess that the person who is not looking at their bills is still somebody who wants to achieve greatness in their financial life. So what is it that you want to achieve specifically? Is it that you want to buy a home that you want to save up for a big project goal? Do you want to leave your job, have enough money to leave your job? That's a lot of us. Um, Have enough money to freeze your eggs, have enough money to get married, like whatever. But anchoring your journey through fear in something really personal and exciting is how we cross the bridge. But sometimes I think that we are afraid of things that are too abstract in our financial lives. Like I will use a recent example of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, which happened, I think this spring. And it was frightening because then the next sort of the next shoe to drop well, we're all waiting for it. You know, is it going to be my bank? Is it going to be, you know, another, is it going to be, is it going to collapse the whole financial system? We don't know. We have all these like sort of what ifs. And honestly, 
that to me is not a good enough fear to mobilize you. Because I'm always looking for the fear that's going to spring me into healthy action. That fear is not. That fear is just going to make you chase your tail and keep you stuck and living in a cloud of what ifs. But how you turn that into a healthier fear is you say, what if my bank collapses tomorrow? What if this actually happens to me like now? Not someday, but what if I wake up tomorrow and the news says that my bank is has run dry? You know, that what you're doing there is you're making an abstract fear more personal. You're bringing it to your doorstep. You're actually creating an urgency around it, a sense of urgency to then hopefully mobilize you to go get the information that you need to protect what you're trying to protect, which is your money. So in that moment when I'm like, oh, what if a, you know my bank goes under? I'm going to go look at, see, is it FDIC insured? Which means that the bank has insurance to cover my deposits up to $250,000. Then the next question is, do I have more than $250,000 here? In which case I might want to move some of it to another bank to diversify my risk exposure. You know, most of us are safe in these in, in the events that these bank collapses happen. Part of it is just we need to get educated on the reality of what the system is and what, the, what history has shown us. Uh, even with Silicon Valley Bank, everyone was made whole eventually, uh, right. but it just sounded really scary in the news. Oh. And similar, yeah. So this I could so go bad. on and on. There's so many examples like, worried about a recession, the R word. That's too abstract. Don't live there. Take it really, bring it to your, what if you lose your job tomorrow? Have you thought about that? What would be the first thing you would do? Go do that now. Right. And it's not just, yeah. I love this so much. (laughs) I'm like, I, there's so much that you've just said that so aligns with what I teach, um, particularly about you have to go back to the past because a lot of people just don't want to do that. They want to just kind of skip that piece. Or then we have a lot of people that only want to focus on the future and they want to write out their ideal life every day and they they don't want to re, you know go go back to the past at all. Um, anyways, I so so relate to that. And then this part about hey, let's go to reality. I always say the the rent is high <laughs> to live in reality because like not a lot of people want to take the work to live in reality. So it it takes a little bit of work. It's not that much, but slowing down and doing what you're saying and applying this to your life and figuring out, okay, what's the reality. And then it's this beautiful thing of allowing people to take informed action that would actually apply to their life. Mm -hmm. And then a third thing that I would add to the fear of money bucket is when it shows up, another exercise you could do is say, am I, really thinking, you need to think two steps ahead with fear sometimes. Like sometimes you're afraid to do something because the risk is too great right now. It feels too much right now. Like I'm not going to invest because what if I lose money tomorrow in the stock market? I'm not going to ask for more money on the job because what if they hate me (laughs) when I do? And truthfully, listen, I I just this week I asked for more money and I got it. Like you're sometimes afraid of something that isn't real. But I always say that sometimes we have to extrapolate the fear and say, okay, well, if I just sit with this fear and do nothing, let this fear wash me over, not make me, not help me make a healthy move. What's going to be waiting for me in two years as a result of this or 10 years or 50 years? And usually it's a scarier thing. You know, you're afraid of the stock market being volatile today. Well, that's part of what it does, but okay, I get it. It's scary. So you're not going to invest, but then in 30 years, when you're ready to retire, and you don't have any investments, you've left your money in a 
0.04% bank account, which has actually lost money because of inflation. And now you don't know if you can retire. You might have to call your, your old kid, your adult children for help. What is scarier? Taking the risk now or facing the reality, which I can guarantee you is going to be a reality unless you win the lottery or you know mm-hmm. you just fall into a lot mm-hmm. of money. So I always say go to the dark place with your financial fears. It's not because I'm masochistic. It's not because I'm trying to instill more anxiety. It's because I'm trying to get you to do something productive, constructive, healthy, self-aligned, and so that you can lay down this fear. The goal is not to walk around scared all the time, right? Eventually we need to you know, feel other things. <laughs> we should, as we should. Yes. But to get there, you have to have an experience with the fear, a good one. And I have lived a life and I know how to do it. And I teach this in the book. And I, I can connect this to a bit of what I do, which is where, you know, people come to me and they haven't found their person. And a lot of times they're going worst case scenario, you know, I'm going to die alone and I'm never going to meet someone and love just isn't for me. And they have all this fear and sadness and despair. And what happens is when they actually just start doing the work of working on themselves and learning how to become securely attached, they immediately start to feel better. Yeah. So it's just, it reminds me again of this, when we take aligned action that is aligned with our reality, just the action itself, which could be just making some phone calls and talking to your bank or moving some funds around. As soon as you're taking the action, you start to feel better and the fear goes away. Yep. Isn't that wild? It's magic. It's wild. (laughs) It's magic, but it's totally achievable. And as I say that, you know, if my, if my hopes and dreams for everybody, for the world is for to, to have a world where there's more financial equity and everyone is sort of playing a level field. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I think that because fear is so universal, fear is a universal resource. We all have it. We all have it. We all experience it. It is abundant. And let that light you up a little. Let that, and people say to me, how are you so calm? I had for many years a career in front of television, live television, live from the New York Stock Exchange, live from, you know, places you don't want to be. And how do you stay so calm? Because I'm okay with fear because I'm allowing myself to feel the fear and I don't get, I don't get, I don't get worked up because it shows up. I go, okay, Hey, how you doing? It's like a friend showing up at your house. Unexpected. It's a little annoying, but you're like, okay, (laughs) come on in. (laughs) Let's have a coffee. Um, I don't let it, I stay in control is ultimately what I'm saying. I stay in control of that relationship. Whereas too often we allow it, we assume that it's here to run us over and we let it. So good. Yeah. You have a relationship with it and you're curious enough. uh, You're curious with it, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you're curious and you want to see, is there anything valuable out of this and you're open to it? So what's the rational thing that I can do is always the question. Yeah. Yeah. What's the rational thing? Yeah. This is so good. I can't wait for everyone to get your book. What's the best way for people to pre-order? Well, you can go to a healthy state of panic.com. And there you can see all the places it's available. There's actually a bonus. If you pre-order it, you'll get access to my virtual training called Scared Smart, which is essentially the book, the book's money chapter, The Fear of Money, brought to life through a video course and a workbook. And you'll also get the intro to the book. So if you want to get a head start and not wait till October 3rd when it's released, when you get your hardcover, you can get access to the virtual program. Uh, 
available for free if you pre-order before October 3rd. And that's at a healthy state of panic.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. I really encourage everyone to get this book, apply it to your life, do the pre-order. That's an incredible bonus. Um, I know I myself will be doing the same. So I just want to say thank you so much for for all that you do for educating, putting knowledge into the hands of people. Um, it's really inspiring and I, I am inspired by you. So thank you for how you show up and, and giving voice to all these things that a lot of people are not comfortable doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My honor. Thank you so much. And thanks for being on the podcast. I do just have one last question for you. This is random, um, but I ask every guest this, and that is if you were walking down the street, random stranger comes up to you. They want to know your best life advice of the moment. Doesn't have to be Mm. of all time, but just today, right now, what would be your, your best advice? Wow. Um, I would say, who trust the process, trust the process. Too often we try to control everything. We think we know everything. And sometimes there's already a plan. I'm not like super woo woo. You know this. I'm not like, I don't like candles. I don't like rub crystals. I just, I've lived life and I know that there's, there's meaning that may have already been that that you don't even know about. Like there's, there's there trust the process. Even if it fails, there's a lesson that was how, you know, and I'm not saying everything happens for a reason or everything is meant to be, but in, in work at least, and in relationships, I feel like if you're putting in the work and you're showing up, you're doing your job, life will happen and the process will be right. That's beautiful. That's such a good reminder. I love it. Thank you again for your time. And everyone remember, go check out Bernoucci's book. We're so excited about it. The link is in the show notes. Um, And of course, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships until next time. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.